Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Thank you for joining Purpose Driven Sobriety, uh, the podcast. My name is Christine Cohen, and I am an alcoholic. Um, I want to uh, thank Jennifer Halverson, our sponsor for today. Um, Jennifer is a great friend of mine and a friend uh, to, to all of us in recovery. Jennifer, thank you so much. Um, today, we have Tony Dolgeroff. Am I pronouncing that properly? Very close, okay. Dolgaroff. Dolgaroff, okay, close Hard enough. Yes, thank you. Um, on <laughs> the close. show today, and and um, Tony and I met, and and again, I I say this pretty much every episode. You know, there are some great resources online, and I'm speaking of Facebook basically. Um, that there are some great resources as far as uh, sobriety support and community and what have you. Um, so we met through one of those pages, and so um, I, I invited Tony to come on and share his experience, strength, and hope with us. And that, that's all we do, Tony. We just kind of talk <laughs> about what it was like, what happened, and what we're like now. Um, we give all the, you know, we kind of show our guts here just so that we can maybe help that person who's still suffering. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you have it, and, and you take over and just tell me what was it like, man? What, what happened? What brought you here? All right. Uh, thank you so much, Christine, for having me and giving me this opportunity to serve and give back to our community. Um, it, it really is uh, a, a privilege and an honor to be here. Um, I'm, by the way, it's introduced myself. Hi, I'm Tony Dolgaroff. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Tony. Um, <laughs> you know, in that, in that word recovered, um, I know that it, it can be a little controversial. Um, I did not say I'm cured. Mm-hmm. I did not say I'm, I'm immune to a relapse, um, but I have recovered from a hopeless, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and I have been liberated. I uh, no longer have a desire to drink or use drugs or even smoke cigarettes or do anything else harmful to my body, and and that is, that's been the case. Um, although cigarettes were just seven years ago, but my sobriety date is uh, February 14th, 2012, and uh, I always like to mention this. Um, I went to my first meeting in 1995. Oh, wow. And my, my sobriety date isn't until 2012. So, you know, I for the, for the people who are, you know, coming into AA, drinking again, coming in, drinking, coming in, you know, in, out, in, out. I get it. I have been there. I have, mm-hmm. I have fought that one, man. I, I know what that's like. Um, and, I'll, and I'll get really honest about that a little bit later. Um, I also want to mention the fact that I am, uh, I have a home group. They are called A New Way of Living. Um, and we meet online every Tuesday, every, I'm sorry, every Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday um, at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. Now, is and that on Facebook? 
And well, we can be found um, through our uh, intergroup website, which oh, okay. is HB, hbai.org, which stands for Huron Valley Area Intergroup. And um, you can actually see there's there's a meeting locator and you can find a new way of living, the 730 meeting. Awesome. Um, man, great, great, solid group of people. Um, is it cool if I give some a little shout out? Sure. And I do, all right, rock on. So, you know, I'm like, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try my best guys. If I forget anybody, I'm really sorry. You know, I love you all. Um, crew, Cody, James, Courtney, Melissa, and I, I, I could never forget. I love this. Uh, the alcoholic responsible for Calvin. <laughs> That's one of the coolest introductions I've ever heard an alcoholic say. He always announces himself that way. It's so cool. So I love you guys. I just wanted to drop you a quick little little shout out there. Um, you know, before I really get into this, you know, I, I think it's important to uh, to let everybody know. Like, I'm I'm very in touch with my emotions and whatever it is that I'm feeling. Um, whether it's happiness, enthusiasm, anger, sadness, um, I'll, I'll express it in a very authentic and genuine way. And I'm, I'm really, it's been one of the blessings of, of recovery for me that, I, that I'm actually comfortable and okay with being Tony, with being myself. That's amazing. Well, um, stra strangely, that's how God <laughs> intended us to be. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. And, and you know, and that's that's really what it all comes down to is that, you know, I spent so many of those years um, disconnected, you know, from my higher power, disconnected from God, not, not in connection with the spirit of the universe whatsoever. Um, you know, which is, which is definitely, um, a symptom as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned of our, of our disease. Um, I, I've never been to rehab. Um, it just wasn't in the cards for me. I, I got sober the old school way, uh, sponsored 12 steps, going to meetings, building a relationship with God and then helping others, you know, that, that success formula, um, has has proven to work for me and i've seen it work for countless others and it's worked for millions worldwide and it works every single day and has been working for decades Let, um, let's go let's go let's go back to where you started when did you have your first drink or drug how old were you <laughs> yeah yeah well you know and that's that's the thing so i think you know the, the little prelude to that is that you know i i do believe that alcoholism is hereditary and we are born with it mm -hmm. and there's alcoholism on both sides of my family uh father's alcoholic the bullet missed my mom but there is alcoholism all over the maternal side of my family mm. um as well as you know uh, on both sides um you know serious depression mental Ill health issues that kind of thing i'm no exception right um so, you know, my father, my father was raised by my grandfather. My father and my uncles were basically raised that one of the things that you do to, to raise a boy to become a man is you get them drinking right away, you know, as, as children. And so, you know, my father was giving me beer and peppermint schnapps when I was three, four years old, you know, and, and, and it wasn't until, um, you know, thank God for my mother. I mean, my mother, uh, literally, I would not be alive. Uh, I, my mother has been so amazing in my life. I mean, I could not have asked for a better mom. Um, you know, she, she was able to, to get me away from him and that family. And, uh, and, you know, they were, they were criminals, you know, uh, um, 
So I ended up having my name was was legally changed from my father's last name to my mother's last name. That's where Dolgoroff comes from, mm. um, because, you know, she just didn't want me to have to grow up and, and then live my adult life associated with them as criminals, you know, right. and, you know, I, I get that. Um, so, you know, and when my father gives me that first sip of peppermint schnapps, right, I, I really... I spent so much time blaming him for my alcoholism that, you know, he caused it, right? It's his fault. And we have an abnormal reaction to alcohol. Um, when we drink, our bodies basically say more. Give, give us more and 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 then there's the mental component which I, i'll get into later um but i really had to look at like you know how does how does a four-year-old child um who's not alcoholic react to liquor and how does a four-year-old child who was born alcoholic react to liquor and i believe those reactions are different mm -hmm. so you know a, a non-alcoholic child is going to put that bottle to his lips <laughs> oh gross oh my god oh you drink that like it's like don't ever i don't like, you know right like mm -hmm. it's going to be this really you know they're not going to like it right me at four mm -hmm. i'm experiencing that sense of comfort and ease that sense of relief that comes with taking that first drink at four years old mm. i i have no stressors in my life i don't have a job i'm not married i'm not like all these things that people are you know blaming for their drinking at four years old i i'm i'm feeling the desire to drink because inside i'm not okay I don't feel okay inside. Um, you know, that that went on for years. I mean, I, I remember, you know, being out on the playground and running inside the house and going to the refrigerator. Hey, is there anything to drink? And I'm looking for, you know, a Pepsi or something. And my uncle's like, beer. So I would drink beer. And, you know, when you're when you're seven years old and you crack open a beer and you start slamming it in front of your uncles and your dad and they start cheering and clapping and, oh my god look at that that's so cool look at little tony that's fucking badass man Encouraging, you know like yeah. like i want to impress them you know what i mean like i want to be like like them and you know i i love all my family i'm not trying to badmouth them in any way at all um you know all of those men had big hearts and they and they loved the people that they love but they were not good people um, you know, I, I, as a child, I was around not just drugs and alcohol, but violence and guns and blood and police and screaming and parties and shady neighborhoods. And like, there's just like things that a child should not be around, you know? And, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, they're, they're all alcoholic. I mean, they're all sick people and all, all of them, um, you know, eventually, uh, basically they all died of, of, you know, drinking related, um, health issues on um, my father, you know, that was a big eye opener for me. Cause when my father passed, you know, he, he had a lot of things wrong with them, you know, hepatitis and, um, 
you know, he had, he had a lot of like, you know, physical damage to his body because, you know, his organs are so damaged that they couldn't do any kind of operations on him. He would, he wouldn't have ever survived surgery at that point. And, um, you know, he, he was a lifelong smoker and, you know, issues with his stomach lining, his pancreas, his, his kidneys, uh, you know, name it. So, you know, when, when I got his death certificate and, you know, the, the, I saw the description of death, I was expecting like a paragraph. And I see this description of death and it says end stage liver failure slash liver cirrhosis, period, alcoholism, mm. period. That was it. About summed it up, huh? <laughs> now, were you an only child? Did you say that? Up yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. And so, you know, overall though, so, you know, and I, and I, you know, some, the, 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 the craziness and the, and the trauma and the things that I experienced as a child related to that. My childhood was amazing. I had like one of the coolest childhoods you could ever have. And it actually explains one of the reasons why I'm sitting outside in this interview and it's 60 degrees. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I love being outside. I, I grew up in this, in this cool little country town, um, you know, called Hamburg. Um, I lived on a lake and I was surrounded by hills and forests and paths and grass and i i i recently revisited um you know the 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 street where we lived when i first started elementary school and i turned onto the road and i looked and it was like i looked all like everything i could see like everything within my sight i had been there i had walked on i had you know like it, it was that was my playground and what a cool way to grow up and 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 the people from that town um I'm friends with the majority of the people that I've known since first grade. Okay. They're all just very beautiful, loving people. Um, so, you know, I, I had this really cool childhood. Um, so, you know, when, when I look at that, like, what was it that really compelled me to drink, right? So, so later on, you know, I get into my teen years and um, I'm, with uh i'm with a buddy of mine and his parents have like this annual pool party in the summer and they uh, they had tons of alcohol and, and he grabbed uh, a couple of four packs of wine coolers and you know he he just cracks one open and starts drinking he's like want one and i'm like yeah sure you know and, and i remember didn't really like the taste or whatever but i kept drinking it and then i wanted another one and then i wanted another one and so, you know, I just thought, well, I guess I like wine coolers more than I thought I did. But the reality was I was experiencing that phenomenon of craving. Right. My body was saying, take, you need more, you need more. And how old more. were you at that time? Uh, I want to say 12 or 13, okay. somewhere in there. Gotcha. And so I didn't, I didn't really, um, really encounter alcohol again until... Uh, after eighth grade in the summer and we were having this graduation type of party and um, there was a bunch of us over and and my friends had beer and it was the same thing it was like you know I hadn't had a beer since I drank beer with my father and so you know I crack open this beer and I take a sip and it was like reuniting with an old friend mm, you know oh, it was, wow. it was so pro- odd how familiar that is profound that yeah that's profound how, how you put that yeah, I love I mean, that's that. what it felt like. Man, you know? yeah. Oh, I remember you. Oh my yep. god, how are you? Best friend. You know? And yep. I I finished that beer 
And without hesitation, I immediately went to the host and the party and said, are there any more? You know, and, and I didn't get hammered that night. It didn't turn into some horrible, you know, catastrophe or whatever. I got right. Mm. I felt right. Mm -hmm. And that led to me seeking it out. Right. That led to me hanging out with the kids that were the bad kids and the ones that, you know, parents drink. And, you know, I, you know, here I am, you know, 13, almost 14 years old or whatever. And a buddy of mine, uh, we went to his mother's girlfriend's uh, boy, her or his mother's boyfriend's house and walked right into his there's he was sleeping or whatever we just walked right into his refrigerator grabbed a 24 pack of Budweiser and walked out and I'm like aren't you worried you're gonna get in trouble he's like no <laughs> like rock wow. on mm -hmm. and we're like you know we're just walking down the sidewalk in Winston-Salem North Carolina for everybody to see drinking beer like it's okay mm. and you know so you know high school comes around and you know the same thing I'm, I'm experimenting you know start smoking weed and smoking cigarettes and I'm um, I tried, tried acid and, uh, you know, we were, we were doing inhalants. I mean, <laughs> inhalants, man. I don't know if you ever got into that one, but you know, we were out in the country, so it was hard to find like real drugs, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember my mother had taken me to, um, like a, a rehab facility here in the area. And, and I, I, I did like this, uh, assessment type thing. And I'll never forget this counselor asking me like, Okay, have you uh, ever drank alcohol, beer, liquor? Have you ever smoked marijuana? Have you ever tried heroin? Have you tried cocaine? You know, she's going through like this list of all these, you know, like like drugs, and then she's like inhalants, and of course I'm denying them all, you know, and and you know, and she's like, oh, well, you ever inhaled anything? I'm like, no, and she goes, oh, that's good because that'll really fuck you up. Oh wow. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking to myself like you just named like all of these like crazy things right. that like destroy people's lives. And, and you're telling me the one thing that's going to really, that's really that bad is the inhalants. And, and, you know, and, and yeah, it, it does horrible stuff to your, your brain, your organs, your, your, mm. uh, your lungs, you know, and, and we were teenagers. So, you know, who knows what kind of uh, permanent damage we actually did to ourselves. Right. That we're not really aware of today, but you know, that, that, that just kind of, for me goes to show, you know, going to any lengths, right? Right. Like I needed, I needed to have that, that inner turmoil needed to be calmed. It needed to be satisfied. It needed to be addressed somehow. And I didn't know how I didn't have a solution to that. Mm. And, you know, that, that carried into my twenties. And I just thought, you know, I was just a party guy, you know, I'm just doing what other people do in their twenties. We go to nightclubs, we get drunk, we, you know, mess around and do whatever, you know, that's, that's what we do. But you know, I didn't really realize at the time that, you know, yeah, sure, a lot of people probably drink too much and they throw up or whatever. And, I, you know, other people tell me about that. But why is it that everybody else seems fine there? They drank and they did their things and they kind of tapered it off and whatever. And, you know, I, I'm the guy at 530 in the morning finishing off another beer and, right. then, and then puking in the toilet for two hours, mm -hmm. you know, Um you know, and I, and I, I, I fully understood like, oh man, it's, it's the weekend. I'm going to get wasted. I'm going to do all that, you know, but what I, what I didn't get was like, you know, I just want to relax, have a couple beers before bed. I got to work in the morning. And the next thing I know, um, you know, it's, it's five hours later and I'm still drinking, mm -hmm. you know, and I always thought, oh, I just changed my mind. I, you know, I decided whatever. I, I, I never, I never realized I was, you know, again, experiencing that phenomenon of craving where 
I was losing control of how much I was going to drink when I decided to do it. And, you know, one of those delusions that we have, I believe, you know, during our drinking is that we believe that we have it under control, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not a problem. And, you know, I've always been aware of the fact that I'm, that I'm alcoholic. Um, you know, my mother, because of my father, she was, um, you know, she's Al-Anon and she knew the symptoms. She knew what to look for. And she would explain it to me. And and I remember one night, um, the first time I tried Jack Daniels, I was 17. And uh, it, long story short, it led to me being in police custody. And, you know, my mother, my grandfather was a lawyer. So my mother always kind of like ingrained in me, you know, as you know, you're a minor. Um, just give them my my name and phone number. I will take care of everything. It doesn't mean you're out of trouble, mm-hmm. but you don't tell them anything. Don't say a word. And so I would, that was ingrained in me. So, you know, basically here I am, I'm, I'm completely shit faced. Um, I thought the police officer was a security guard and I was, I was trying to, I was trying to hit him, you know, trying oh, to hit no. him with my elbow and, you know, he's, he's trying to hold, hold on to me. And he's like, you know, six foot 12 and you know, this big <laughs> giant police officer, you know, and you're on the scrawny little, you know, 17 year old. And I remember he, he, he put his hand on the back of my head and turned my head toward his uh bicep where he had his his uh police patch and he goes can you read that and i'm like hamburg township police i'm sorry oh uh-oh. <laughs> i just melted i just turned into a, like a little puppy dog and i gave him the spiel you know i'm like okay this is my name this is my phone number this is my date of birth this is my mother's name call her right now and she will answer any questions you have I will be calm. I won't cause any problems as long as no one asks me any questions, you know, and, and I, that resulted in me being violently ill. I mean, vomiting, dry heaving, uh, not exaggerating over 24 hours straight. I mean, just constantly getting up, running in the bathroom over and over and over again. Um, you know, my mom explaining to me that I'm alcoholic and, you know, I'm, you know, sort of accepting of that, you know, like I get it. Okay. And maybe, maybe this isn't so good type of thing, but uh, it, it, it wasn't really until I got to, I was like, I was like 23 and some, some things that happened and I, and I became interested in, in AA and that, that was, that was, I think, I think it was like 94, 95, somewhere in there. And I, a friend of mine from work took me to a meeting and, um, you know, it, it just, I wasn't ready, you know, I wasn't ready then. Um, but I always knew like, you know, AA was there and I could, you know, always give it a shot. And I did some of the, the silliest things, man. I, I remember, um, you know, at that time I, I promised my girlfriend I would quit drinking, you know, cause it was a. else or if i'm in a hospital or jail or whatever and um you know of course this is back before you know we had like you know mobile technology and all that so um you know i i remember i remember lying to her i went to the bar and i told her that i had gone to an aa meeting and she goes oh where did you go and i said you know the alano club over there and and she said oh because i drove by and i didn't see your car So then my, my brilliant alcoholic scheme was to get drunk in the parking lot of the Alano club. So that when she drove At least by, your car would be she there. would see my car, but mm-hmm. I could still drink, mm. you know, I mean, that, that's, that was the kind of crazy alcoholic stuff I was doing, you know, 
And and so, you know, my 30s were just uh, uh, a more of like the professional version of my 20s, except for the one thing that I that I'd done in my in my late 20s and into my early 30s, which I think I think this was a result of, um, you know, my my disease hadn't really progressed um, that far yet that I was able to abstain for a period of time mm. for, for a really good period of time. But the, the oddest thing happened. Um, you know, I, I used to pop into TGI Fridays and I'm really into sports and I would, you know, sit at the bar, you know, because, you know, why do I want to take up a, a entire four top for just one person? Right. Mm-hmm. It was my excuse. And I'm sitting at the bar and I'm and I'm, you know, I'm drinking soft drinks and eating hamburgers and, and hanging out with everybody else who's drinking and doing shots and all that. Right. And, um, you know, the bartender, I would walk in and he would have the, the little, you know, dispenser for the soft drinks and, you know, Coke. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so I walked in one day, he's like Coke. And I'm like, no, give me a Corona with two limes. Like th- there was, it, and it was like, it was like that description of the big book of how he. largest check I had ever been written in my life. It was, uh, it was for my first uh, sales uh, of a real estate commission. Um, we had bought our first home. We had two brand new cars in the driveway. Our daughter was uh, in this really kick-ass preschool about to start elementary school. Um, we were living the dream. You know, we, we were, and, and what it was that compelled me to drink in that moment, right? I had no defense at all. I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to meetings. I I didn't do any step work. I I just basically abstained and white knuckled to the point where I just got used to not drinking. And until the disease had progressed to the point to where it was like, well, you're not you're not in charge here, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't get to decide if you drink or not. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, understanding that the, those facts about alcoholism was, was crucial for me in, in getting sober. So, you know, that, you know, it's, it's hereditary. It is literally, it fits the description of a disease. It's mm-hmm. fatal, it's incurable, and it's chronic. It gets worse. It never gets better. So, you know, the, the fatality of, of alcoholism is very real to me in my life. And, you know, I, I have lost friends um, way before recovery and, and you know, uh, drinking and driving accidents, drug overdoses, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always been a, a real thing in my life, but I never believed it could be me, right? I never believed that, that I could ever die from something like this. And so, you know, that, that Corona with two limes over a period of years um, about four or five years, it, 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 this ended with, um, you know, I've got type two diabetes and I wasn't taking my medication properly. I wasn't following any kind of diet. I wasn't exercising. I basically was ignoring the fact that I was diabetic, mm. um, drinking, I mean, beer, liquor, uh, for usually I would begin sometime around nine, 10 o'clock. Also had a issue with cocaine. You know, I struggled with that for two years. Um, I was isolated in my bedroom and I didn't socialize. And all I wanted to do was either drink or get high. And I was either, I was either on a on a bender. I was like on this like multi day binge, 
or I was recuperating from that binge, or I was preparing for another one. I was thinking about when's the next time I'm going to drink. And I had, I had gone to the doctor and uh, they had, they had done some blood work and he wanted to talk about the results of my blood work. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was lying to him about what was really going on with me, you know, and he's trying to figure out what's happening. And, you know, I'm getting like, you know, our average blood sugar levels are, are should be like around a hundred and I'm hitting blood sugar levels in the, the 500s, oh, wow. 550. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so what that does is that uh, all of that overload, it basically, um, it makes your kidneys just go, 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 go nonstop 24 hours a day. They're constantly working. And so and they're and it's and they're they're overloaded, right? And and then you get into the state of what they call ketoacidosis. So basically, he's telling me, you know, and, and so, you know, I'm doing cocaine, I'm drinking like hell, I'm smoking like a a pack, pack and a half, two packs of cigarettes a day, eating a horrible diet, not exercising, living this sedentary, uh, uh, horrible life. And um, you know, he's like. He's like, I don't, I really don't think that you're going to make it to the end of the year. You keep going like this, Oh wow! you know? Yeah. You know, and I, and I, and I think I'd finally, I was the first time I had really gotten honest with him. I said, you know, I, I, cause I've been trying to drink. I've been trying to stop drinking rather for like the past three years. And, you know, I finally said to him, you know, I, I, I've been struggling. I can't seem to quit drinking. And, you know, this is the guy that gives me pills for every problem I have. I can't mm. sleep. Here, take a pill. My stomach hurts. Here, take a pill. You know, right? <laughs> you know, my feet hurt. Here, take these pills. Um, I can't stop drinking. Have you tried AA? <laughs> you know, and I'm like floored. I'm like, what? Like, I didn't say that to him, but I'm like, yeah, I've tried AA. You know, like, I, I was so convinced AA was not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and... You know, here I am, and I drank that night, right? Here I am, like a doctor telling me you're going to die from drinking and drugging and all that other stuff. And I drank that night, and I'm doing all the same stuff that I was doing that got me in that mess. And, um, and you know, it, it's it's so crazy to me. Like I, I would, I would hear sometimes, um, like the heavy hard drinkers in my room who will kind of describe these scenarios where they're like. Oh, you know, my, my wife said she was going to leave me. So I quit drinking. Uh, the boss said he was going to fire me. So I quit drinking. I got my first DUI. So I quit drinking. I got arrested. I quit drinking, you know, like doctor said, you know, it's damaging my liver. So I quit drinking. Like I never understood how, how. I Uh, we really didn't get into, you know, yeah, there's the physical allergy, right? So I have this, I have this response, but unlike any other allergy, like say to peanuts or something, like you, you don't, for example, go into an ER and, and see a bunch of different people in the ER who ate peanuts again, right? Right? You don't know, see people, right? Coming, oh, I ate, <laughs> sorry, doc, I did it again. You know, I don't know what came over me. I was all of a sudden, next thing I know, I got a Snickers in my hand. You know, it, it like, like. And that's what baffles non-alcoholics, because what is the one question that they always, always ask us? Why can't you just stop? Mm -hmm. They don't get it. Right. You know, like, like that's part of what makes me an alcoholic. When I honestly, when I honestly, sincerely in the everything that I have wants to leave it alone entirely. I can't. I get it. I can't.
and you know and, I, and I've, I've admitted to this multiple times that um on every single uh, personal inventory i've ever written you know during a four step since the first one because the 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 top of the list on that first one was dad mm-hmm. and he's never been on my list ever again um now every time i write inventory it's and, and it's something that i'm still working on today but i write and it's always at the top of the page middle of the road solution middle of the road solution is always up there because like i i tried them all and none of them work for me and i've had people that i have grown close to and love dearly who have tried these middle of the road solutions and it's resulted in their lives being lost and so, you know, understanding that, you know, not only is alcohol fatal to alcoholisms, but to, alco- to alcoholics, um, but misinformation, right? You know, like what what it is, what's what's the solution to our illness? And you know, and and in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, they say like, well, you know, AA is not the only way, but you know, when I'm in an AA meeting, we have one solution, and that's the twelve steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so you know. Kind of, kind of going back to that, like, you know, those last three years of my drinking, it was like, I would, I, I had the sweetest woman in the world in my life. And, um, you know, there were, there were times where like, you know, I'd have another bad drunk I'm crying I'm puking. It's miserable. I never want to do this again. I'm going to go to AA tomorrow. I'm going to do whatever. And and, you know, and then two days later, she calls me and I answer the phone and she's like, it's kind of noisy where you are. Uh, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm at the bar, just, you know, grabbing a beer and a burger. <laughs> she's like, what? Yeah, you know, no big deal. And I was just overreacting the other night, you know, oh and, and there were times where I, 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 I swore it off entirely. Like, honey, I'm never going to do it again. I'm sick of it. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. Every time I drink, it's horrible. Uh, so nothing but bad experience after bad experience. There's no more fun left anymore. I don't want to do it. I don't want it anymore. I get drunk. And then have that firm resolution all over again. Nope, I don't want it anymore. I'm sick and tired of it. I hate it. I hate it. It's horrible. I don't want it. I'd get drunk. You know, and, and I remember, was that, what's that one? That, um, you know, I, I don't want to knock these things too much. I know that they're helpful for people. You know, it's just that for me, like talking about alcoholism wasn't a solution. So it wasn't until I took action that I got the results. Right. So like, you know, hearing, hearing something like, well, I woke up this morning and I decided not to drink. I'm like, well, all right. Me and my experience, first of all, if I could do that, guys, I love (laughs) our fellowship. (laughs) I love recovery. I love, but I wouldn't be here. I would not be here. I I don't know what, I don't know what that's over and make that stick. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get I, it. I can't relate to you that. know because mm-hmm. that again that that you know it, it's we've lost the power of choice. Right. I I don't choose whether I drink or not. My disease decides when I drink mm-hmm. or not. So I needed a defense against that. Mm. You know, and and that's that's what it all came down to. So you know, here I am in this place where yeah, I understood those days in the early days. I want to get drunk. I got drunk. I didn't understand. I don't want to drink, and I'm drunk. Right. Over and over right. and over and over. And warning from a doctor, yeah, no, that didn't do it. Um, woman wants to leave me, no, that didn't do it. You know, mother pleading, you know, for my life, Tony, I don't want to see you die. You know, I, um, my daughter, you know, uh, seeing the effect that it had on her, I'm not there for her. I'm not being a good father. I, I'm, 
you know, money that I could be spending on her and I having fun and enjoying dad daughter time I'm spending at the bar and, you know, I'm feeling regretful for all that stuff. I had so many reasons to stop drinking. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own power. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the power to just stop on my own. And, you know, I, I remember that specifically. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I'm kind of, I'm kind of angry about that. You know, I wake up in the morning and decide not to drink. Cause I remember doing that and looking myself dead in the, dead in the mirror. Like, like looking myself in the eye, Tony, you are not going to drink again. You're not going to drink today. Today you decided not to drink, you know, three hours later, I'm, I'm wasted at Applebee's right. and buy one, get one for margaritas. Yep. You know, I just popped in for a burger and you know, Hey, margaritas are buy one, get one free. Okay. Rock on honey. Bring them. Mm-hmm. You know, on the phone, my drug dealer, what's happening? You know, mm-hmm. man, what a nightmare. And so, you know, it's it, the, the fact that I, that I, and the fact that I got into cocaine really, really blows my mind. Right. Because I, I saw what it did to my father. Um, my, when my mother married my stepfather, uh, he was, he was a commercial roofer. We got to travel around the country um, because he was, he was so good at his job. Um, we got to live in, in Texas for a while, lived in North Carolina for a while, came back to Michigan um, their company did the roof on the Palace of Auburn Hills. Um, when we were in Winston-Salem, it, there was the R.J. Reynolds uh, company, the, the headquarters building. Mm-hmm. There was a big GM plant down in Texas that they worked on. And, you know, this, this man was like, you know, like big, like big arms, big, like, like cut, like, you know, like muscular, solid. You know, he played basketball. He was like, like just like this beast, you know, and I always admired him. Well, this led to... Uh, you know, us not knowing that he had, you know, he had become addicted to crack. Mm. And uh, we were, we were, we had this cute little house on the lake. We were, we were back in Pinckney and, um, you know, we had a fishing boat. My mom's driving this, this kick-ass Thunderbird and um, he comes home one day and just grabs his stuff and goes, bye. Never coming back. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, the last time I saw that man, and I love him still, I have no hard feelings for him. I understood that, you know, I understood, I especially understand now, you know, that, that, you know, it's, it was a disease. It's a mm-hmm. disease. He was, you know, fell in a drug addiction and, and it got him, you know, and, and um, the last time I saw him, I, I could, I could have just smacked him and knocked him off his chair. I mean, he was, he was frail. It's like skinny. His face is all shrunken in. His clothes were all sagging off of them. And, you know, he looked like he was like 20 years older than he actually was. And, you know, it was, it was a sad sight to see, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I, I hope he's doing well today. I, you know, at last I heard he's, he's married and things are good, but, um, you know, again, I, I don't have any bad feelings toward the man at all. Um, but you know, it, it had an effect, right. The, the, this substance of, of cocaine crack, um, my, my lifelong friend, my lifelong friend, Doug, I've known him since we were three years old. Um, started dabbling in cocaine that led to a serious serious crack addiction you know and and you know he was the same way he was uh always in really good shape he always uh did like physical labor for work you know he started off you know as a kid he you know mowed lawns that led to landscaping and then construction and you know he always worked out and you know he, he was like military like all of his clothes were like spotless folded creased you know perfect hair perfect skin mm-hmm. you know always like looking just sharp right and, uh, you know, he, he was, he was banking, he was making a ton of money in, in, in his, in his, uh, profession. And, you know, he was the kind of guy that like, I could lend him 500 bucks and not think about it. Like, yeah, sure. dude. It was like putting money in the bank. I'm just going to get it right back. 
and you know, he, he, he got in a crack and it got to the point where I remember he called me up one night and I, I knew there was some, some stuff going on, but he calls me up one night and you know, he was like, Hey, Tony, you got money. And, and I was a taxi driver. I owned a little service that I was operating in Ann Arbor. And, uh, I, I used to drop my money in the bank because I didn't want to keep, you know, lots of cash on me. So I just got done dropping all my cash and he calls me up and asked me for a loan. And I'm, and I, and jokingly, I'm like, I'm like, sorry, dude, I just dropped all my cash in the bank, but I got this cup full of spare change. And he goes, can you bring it to me? Mm. Wow. And I'm like, you know, my stomach just sank and he only wants me to meet him in a Walmart parking lot. And I'm like, okay, I got to find out what the fuck is going on here. And, uh, I show up at the Walmart parking lot and I see this old beat up van and I'm looking for my friend. I don't see him anywhere. And then like out of the corner of my eye, I see this like sketchy looking homeless guy. I walk out from around the, this van and you know, his clothes are dirty and stained and muddy and his you know, jeans are all ripped and hair, messy, scruffy face. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm getting ready to give the guy the spiel. Like, Hey, sorry, guy, I don't have any cash. I can't help you buddy type of thing. Mm-hmm. And this person walks up to me and I hear my best friend's voice come out of his come out of his mouth wow hey tone what's going on bud i'm like what the fuck this is not my friend this is not him you know Uh. and you know and he gives me the spiel yeah you know i've been having some problems and you know it's the off season of my business and you know i had some issues with my roommates and they kicked me out and they accused me of stealing and blah 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 and you know this this led to you know him being incarcerated multiple times and really really struggling with crack he, he, had, he had he had got arrested he went to a halfway house went through this whole thing did this whole program kicked ass at it you know had everybody you know on board and had had his plan for getting out and he smoked crack that night mm. you know and it, it got to the point to where um he had burned all his bridges with all of us everyone he loved um my daughter's mother we uh we we had a house um, over on the west side of Ann Arbor, and, and she said, um, I don't want him anywhere near my daughter, anywhere near me, anywhere near my home ever again. He's dangerous. He's not a person that I want around. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty much the same with the rest of his family, and he really didn't have anywhere to go. And I remember, um, you know, he wanted me to take him to the homeless shelter, and, and I drove him to the homeless shelter, and he's like, hey, can you just make sure I get in and all that? And he comes outside, and he's like, listen, they can't do anything for me until nine o'clock tomorrow morning. They don't have any beds open. And if I stay here, I'm just going to be sitting in a chair all night. You know, and I'm thinking, man, I'm dropping off my best friend in the world at a homeless shelter. The least I can do is give him a couch to sleep on. Right. And I had to call my daughter's mother and beg, beg, please, please. I will keep an eye on him. I will stay in the living room with him. The first thing in the morning, we're going to get up and leave. I'm going to take him to get a big meal. Like you want to see him, talk to him. She's like, fine. You know, like, and I dropped him off at that homeless shelter. We spoke yesterday. Um, he ended up getting sober. I saw him go from the homeless shelter. Next thing I know, he's picking up a one-year token. Mm. Next thing I know, he's got multiple years. Next thing I know, he's doing open talks. He's, he's you know, got, got, he went from 
Section 8 housing. She was just really kick-ass apartment. He's running his business. Today, he's, he's like top five best contractors in our county. That's amazing. He's got his wife and his house and, and the dream and the, the new cars and the, you know, his mm. business. He's literally booked like, like past 2024, I think, That's great. you know, like, like solid. I know it's amazing. And so, you know, he's the guy who's 12 stepping me in, in those light years, right? He's the one that like, every time I'm calling him, you know, he's never telling me, you know, I'm calling a poor guy at like three, four o'clock in the morning. I'm crying. I'm miserable. I know the dude's got to wake up at probably five, six o'clock in the morning and work a 14 hour day. And, uh, you know, never once did he say, you know, Tone, just, just fucking call me tomorrow. Stop calling me in the middle of the night. Stop fucking bothering me. No, he was always, he would, he would share his experience with me. He would tell me about how much better his life is. And he would talk to me about taking the steps. He would talk to me about going to meetings. Go, Tony, just go, go to a meeting. Let's get started there. Let's get started with you going to a meeting. You know, and, and I would agree and then I wouldn't go and I would agree and I wouldn't go. And then, you know, he called me for you. Hey, did you go to a meeting? No, I didn't go. Bullshit excuse. I was working. It was busy. I didn't expect this to happen. My daughter, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, so, you know, I find it finally got to the point, like, so my, you know, my dad had passed and, uh, I, I, I was like, I didn't want to give up drinking. I loved drinking. I really didn't want to give up drinking, but I knew it was killing me. I didn't want to end up like my dad. I, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and I wanted, I wanted to live and I wanted sobriety just a little bit more, you know, just a little bit more than I wanted to drink. And, um, I went, to, went back to my first meeting in 2012, you know, he, he had plugged me in with a group of people. And, uh, if this isn't a God moment, I don't know what it is. So here I am in the parking lot and I'm nervous. And I feel like everybody's looking at me, you know, I'm sitting in my car, I'm all like, you know, I don't really want to be there and he's not there yet and he's running behind. And so I, I make this plan. I'm like, okay, I'm going to smoke a cigarette. And if he doesn't get here by the time I'm done with the cigarette, I'm leaving. And so I get done with the cigarette. I put it, I put it out. I put the car in drive. I look up there, the headlights to his car as he's pulling in. Like the second I put it in drive, boom, he's there. And I'm like, well, I guess I can't go now. You know, it was like, like one of the most perfectly timed things I'd ever seen in my life. And, you know, I got plugged into people that I became very attracted to because I wanted what they had, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I, I, I'd always, I'd always try to use like these uh, first step tables where people would um like talk about their stories and their and the things that happened to them. I would always use that as a way to separate myself and to see myself as something other than them. You know, like comparing myself to them. Well, right, I seeing the gone. differences instead of trying to see the similarity. Yeah, yes. mm-hmm, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. Because that, nobody's that got it as our, bad as we minds. do. Yeah, no yeah. one's as bad as we are. I mean, yeah, so oh finding God. the differences is a lot easier than finding any similarities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, I'm looking for excuses, right? You know, that's what it is. So it all came down to you. I was looking for excuses to not do this, you know, and, and you know, I, 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 when I, when I finally got to the point where I was just like open to, to something new, you know, I was like open, honest, and willing, right? We talk about that a lot in our fellowship. Um, I had never been those three things before AA. Mm. And, I may have thought I had, right? I mean, it's it's so funny. I'll talk to people who are in the middle of their drinking, and they sound so much like me, you know. And and we you get into like selfishness with with somebody who hasn't 
taken inventory, mm-hmm. you know, and they think they're the kindest, most uh, generous, loving people in the world. And all they do is kind things for everybody. And they never, they never expect anything from anyone else type of thing. You know, that's exactly how I was, how I, how I thought I was. And, you know, again, this, this delusional thing that, that happens. And so, you know, my life is, is like in these two segments, like before I took the steps and after I took the right. steps, right. Mm-hmm. It's not so much about like, when I was drinking and when I quit drinking, because the alcohol, the alcohol was not the problem. Right. The alcohol is just the substance. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, understanding that like alcoholism isn't caused by alcohol. So it doesn't matter how much I drink, how, how old I was when I started drinking, whether I drank every day or not, whether I had blackouts or not, whether I had legal issues or not, what, you know, all right. None of those things make me alcoholic. What makes me alcoholic is I, one, I have little, to no control over how much I drink when I start. And when I honestly want to leave it alone, I can't. Right. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. You know, and, and, you know, a rock on to the heavy, hard drinkers in our rooms. Like, Hey, you know, tradition three says, you know, I have a desire to stop. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're an alcoholic. And I, and I love, I love the people in the rooms who actually admit to that. You know, hi, my name's Bob. I'm an ex drinker. You know, like he's not calling himself an alcoholic, like rock on. Um, because when you're when you're not alcoholic and you're in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you're telling an alcoholic what they need to do to address their disease, it's not it's not going to work. It's and it can and, it, and yeah, and it can be deadly. Um, you know, I, I it's really hard for me to get into that, like. People dying from alcoholism mm-hmm. because. I was so close to it myself and the, the reality of people dying in my life. Um, for example, I've lost track of how many people I know in recovery who have died. Oh yeah. Um, this year, however, um, before yesterday was at 13, mm. 13 this year. And then when I talked to my friend yesterday, I found out about two more. Wow. And uh, two of those people by the grace of God, died sober um one of those people died um never making it to the rooms of aa Mm. you know and i and i know i know a lot of those and that's that's the other fact about our illness most of us most of us alcoholics we die before ever going to one aa meeting leading to rehab doing any sort of thing like that Mm -hmm. then the ones of us are (laughs) then those of us who do arrive in recovery right who do arrive in in 12-step fellowships the majority of us die and you know i i've i've lost sponsors um man one of them is is freaky scary um he just disappeared his wife doesn't know where he is. There's no there's no records of bank statement transactions, no phone records, no activity uh, of him anywhere, and no one knows where he is. It's it's the it's the freakiest thing. I mean, I mean, he he had relapsed, so who knows? Maybe he, you know, jumped off a cliff. I don't know, but you know, hopefully it's nothing horrible. But you know, that's that's the reality of our illness. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. One day you're sponsoring people. The next thing you know, you're you're in a casket. Right. So what is your tell me what what is your life like now? I mean, you, you've got <laughs> you've got eleven years because you've got it sounds like one mm-hmm. month more on me. Yeah, because I'm I'm oh, eleven as well. So what what is your what is your life like now? 
Well, you know, and I, um, my life is beautiful. Mm. My life today. Um, so, you know, I, I, I went through the steps the first time, um, my sponsor, he took me through the steps quickly, the old, old school way, mm-hmm. you know, I love it. Um, as it yeah, was intended, yeah, it, was it should be done. My third opinion. step prayer, right inventory, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. you know, it was the three decisions, right? And so that's the thing about the 12 steps is they're broken in those segments. And so that's basically, um, that was the big game changer for me, right? So the first, the first three steps are decisions. You know, the first decision is, are you going to go on to the bitter end? Mm-hmm. drinking until it kills you mm-hmm. you're gonna accept spiritual help you know you pick door number two takes you to step number two step number two was explained to me very simply do you believe or are you willing to believe in something greater than yourself mm-hmm. you know yeah all right rock on we're on step three you know and and, and I, I know we get caught up in the in the the verbiage and the and the god thing and you know i was certainly like that in, in early recovery um, really had step two issues, you know, uh, I would, I would, before 2012, if I ever, um, you know, wanted to talk about the second step at a table, and I would listen to some of the stuff people said, but as soon as I heard the word God, I was like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't want to hear it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to a word that they said after that. You know, I was that biased. I was that, I was that full of intellectual pride, but you know, in 2012, I was more open to it. I was very open to it. And I didn't actually, I, I, I believe I recall saying something like, I'm going to go to AA. I'm going to do all the things I had never done before, which basically meant get a sponsor and take the steps. Right. And, uh, and I'll even get with this God thing. <laughs> I'll even get with this God thing, you know, like, like that's cause that's what it is. Right. Like that's, that's, that's the one thing that was blocking me from my recovery was a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I get, we get into the third step, you know, and we look at this, like God's will, you know, and, and it, and it was very simply explained to me by my sponsor as it's a new way of living, right? It's, it's, this isn't so much about like trying to define what is God's will. It's more like, um, how is your way working? What does Tony's will result in? Right. Right. Tony's will results in death diagnosis from his doctor, uh, lost relationship, broken hearted mother, um, you know, neglected daughter, right? That's, that's, you know, Tony's will, you know, are you willing to try a new way? Yeah. Okay. We're going to say this prayer and I want you to go home and I want you to write a list of all the people who have hurt you, harmed you, pissed you off, done something bad to you. Uh Start there, you know? And, you know, I, I, I understand that like, like there's other ways to take the steps, but see, I was taught, you know, the AA way out of the, out of the big book, out of the sure. book, Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. you know, and our, and our book is, I, I, I refer to it because it's full of not only facts about our disease, but facts about the solution. Oh, sure. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to sit here and try to tell anybody at all that you're doing it wrong. You know, uh, first and foremost, if you're listening out there and if you're happy and you're sober and with how you're doing it, rock on, you know, keep doing that. Just just be really careful that if you're speaking to somebody who actually has a fatal illness and not just a drinking problem or a drug problem, you know, that you're not giving them deadly advice like, oh, just just talk about your problems and you'll be fine. Like, I understand those things are very helpful, you know. Um, you know, I was taught that a sponsor is somebody who takes you through the steps, but sometimes when I hear people describe a sponsor, it sounds more like a support, 
mm-hmm. you know, somebody you call every day and you talk to about life and get advice from and recovery. And that's a support. You know, I got a ton of those, right? you know, but my sponsor's main responsibility is to get me through the steps. Now, does that mean that I don't talk to my sponsor about life? Of course I do, mm-hmm. you know, but I've never had a sponsor tell me, you know, uh, do a, do a 90 meeting, 90 day marathon, call me every single day kind of stuff. It was, they've always been like, go through the steps, right? you know, let's the take steps. the steps. Let's That's rework the, the steps again. Let's mm-hmm. do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get you back on track. Let's get you plugged in, you know, and, 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 when it, when it got to the point to where it all became about service for me, like my, my, my world opened up, you know? Um, so along, along this 11 year path, um, during, during COVID, um, I had gotten a little bitter toward our fellowship. Um, I had lost three very dear friends, um, two sponsees um, and my friend Heather, who her and I had gone through the steps together multiple times. And we were like, we were like little like sponsor monsters, man. We, we would go to meetings and we would just snatch up newcomers like crazy, man. Boom, boom, get this one on third step, grab that one. You know, we were, we were, we were just like this, this dynamic duo. And I, I describe our friendship as like, the closest you could possibly be to somebody without being romantic. I mm-hmm. mean, we, 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 we held that line. We did not cross that line ever. And, you know, she, she had, you know, she had drifted. We had lost contact. I hadn't really seen her around. I knew she had, she had moved. And, you know, I just figured, you know, she got her house back. She got her daughter back. She's got this kick-ass job and she's just living the life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I get a notification on my calendar that it's her birthday. And I'm thinking of like our, our goofy little jokes and something you know funny and clever to say to her about her birthday. And I'm I'm looking up her profile and I hop on Facebook and I'm seeing just condolences. Oh no. Yeah, you know, and she she had died like two or three weeks previous to her birthday. Mm. You know, and and man, man, you know, and and you know, and same thing was you know Danny. Um, I had spoke with Danny. He was in the hospital. He him and his girlfriend were homeless. Um, they're, they're both hooked on heroin. He calls me from the hospital in this, in this like panic. He's like, Tony, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I know as soon as I walk out of this hospital, I'm going to get high, you know? And I, and I, and I, and talk about feeling helpless. Like, like, you know, like Danny, what do you want me to do? I'll come and get you. You can come over here. I can, you know, he's like, I, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, a few days later, a common friend calls me up and he's like, Hey, Tony, I just want to call and say, you know, sorry about what happened to Danny. And I'm like, what, what happened to Danny? You know, he's like, yeah. oh, shit, you don't know. And I'm like, oh, you know, um, you know, Rob, Rob was kicking, having this kick ass life. Same thing. You know, it's like that, that part of like resting on our laurels. Right. So, you know, I've seen so many alcoholics like get to that point where like, all right, now their lives are kick ass and they've got all these things they want, but then they drift and they stop they doing, yep. You stop doing what you, what you. You did, you did to get that life back. Yeah. I mean, yes. that's where, you know, you talk about our disease, you know, there, there is no cure, but there is, you know, in, in my, I call it, I call it the medicine, you know, the medicine, there is medicine that we can take to keep our, our disease in remission. And yeah. that involves in my humble opinion, 
working a program of recovery. I get to work a program of recovery every single day for the rest of my life. I get to have um, some peace and um, joy. You know, I I get to have those things, but only if I take the medicine. I stop taking the medicine the disease rears its ugly head again. So yeah. tell me, tell me about, we're, we're coming to so, the end of our time. Tell me, tell okay. me how you start your day every morning. I'm curious. Okay. Well, you know, so I, I know, and I kind of got off track. So, you know, like, you know, again, like breaking down the segments of the steps, you know, the first three are decision steps, four through nine are your action steps and 10, 11 and 12 are your daily disciplines. Uh-huh. Right. And so those daily disciplines, you know, I'm, I'm prayer and meditation daily. Um, my meditation life has become very cool. Um, you know, continue to look at, you know, how, how do I behave daily? How do I treat others? That, that 10 step, right. my, my personal inventory daily, where have I been dishonest, self-seeking, afraid, you know, um, you know, do I owe anybody an apology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or an amends rather. And, um, but the, 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 the thing the, is, is number 12, man, the service, giving back to others. And that's what it all comes down to. It's not about what I did before. It's what I do today. Right. Right. And so, you know, my, my, my regular, my, my overall recovery life, you know, I, I have a, a home group. I sponsor people. Um, I get to wake up every day, absolutely free of the desire to drink. Um, I went through a very horrible time where I became, I kind of, kind of got off track there, but I got disconnected from the fellowship through COVID because I got so bitter with losing people and all the other things. And, and I got really judgmental about our fellowship that I got disconnected and that, that led to me sinking into a really dark depression. Mm. Um, I, I can, I, I always said, you know, like all these different descriptions of, of hell, but I know what hell is now that's being abstinent from alcohol as an alcoholic mm-hmm. without a solution. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Take a drink. I mean, that's where, yeah, right. and the people around, I mean, and I, much, I, I mean, say, at least you got a solution. There. I say that in jest, but in usually the people around us, if if we are mm-hmm. if we are living an untreated, in if we're living in untreated alcoholism, people around us, are, yeah, are usually like, dude, have a drink yeah. or something, because we're oh, impossible yeah. to live yes. with typically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I found that it's, it's the actions, right? It's the actions that get results. And so, you know, I, I, I went back to AA and that first meeting back and I heard how it works. And I, and I, I swear I was, I was on, I wasn't, I was on the verge of tears. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I've been missing. That's what I've been missing. My conscious contact, the spiritual program of action, helping others. Mm. And when I, when I got back into that again, you know, I went from being in this, in this cocoon, in this dark place and boom, you know, this explosion of life is full of joy, full well, of happiness. Yeah. It's, of- it sounds like you were stuck in that pod of self. And then when you come mm. out of that, you, all of a sudden there's light and there's, yes. there's possibilities and there's hope, you know, yes. when it's not yes. about you. Yeah, you know, and I, and I, I love that there's a story I, I, I read about a, a man who finds this uh, monarch butterfly cocoon and he brings it home because he wants to see it hatch. And one day there's like this teeny little hole that opens in the cocoon and, and, the, and the, the butterfly is like trying to you know, squeeze its head through and it's fighting and doing it's like just giving it all it has and it just doesn't seem to be making any progress. 
And the guy thinks to himself, well, maybe if I open that, that, get that, mm. you know, open that hole up just a little bit more, it can, it can get out. And so, you know, he, he does, he opens up the hole with a little razor and the butterfly comes out, but now the butterfly can't fly because mm-hmm. the butterfly needed to squeeze through that tight opening so that it would force the blood from its body into its wings. So and its wings its could develop and become what they are. Yep. You know, and that's that's the metaphor there, right? Like our struggles, our pain, our difficulties, all those things we have to go through. I had to go through that daily contemplation of suicide. Mm. Like I had to go through that depression. I had to go through that so that I can help the next person. Amen. Right. The the my struggles, my difficulties, my pain, my past, those things, the worst things about me have become my biggest assets for helping other people. Amen. Amen. You know, and and who and who are you gonna who are you gonna relate to more? You know, um, the person with the college degree with the clipboard who's you know never had problems with drugs or alcohol before, or that alcoholic who you know went from the depths of hell and, and reemerged successful. Well, yeah, you know? it's, it says it says in our book that we we will reach another alcoholic like no other person can. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that is the genuine and, and, and the original me too movement, you know, <laughs> starting right. with Bill W back, yeah. back 88 years ago, you know, when a friend showed up and, and started talking to him about the founder of, of our program, you know, um, and, and there was this relation, there was this empathy, you know, there, um, this, this soul connection to where, uh, you know, he was able to hear truth and thus, thank God our, our program was, was created. Well, I, I'm so glad that you're sober and, <laughs> and I'm so grateful that you have taken the time to, to sit down and talk with me today. Um, oh, you're, you're an inspiration. My pleasure. I appreciate you're very welcome. you. Thank so, you for having me. My, my yeah. pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you again <laughs> to Jennifer Halverson, um, for sponsoring this episode. Tony, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a very blessed day. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back.